see, thank you again for being here today. Now, I know that many of you may be thinking, okay, we're going to go back to Matthew, but we're, we're actually not today. Um, this is definitely going to be at least a two-part sermon. As I was putting it together uh, Friday and Saturday, I realized that there's no way. Let me put it to you this way. Usually I have a, just over 20 slides uh, that we kind of flow through. My first point was going to be about 15 slides. So, I love you enough to say it's going to take at least two Sundays, maybe three. So, just sit back, take it all in, because it's going to be a lot to think about. It's going to be a lot to wrap our brains around because it really does deal with things that we're facing now, but it's dealing with things we've always faced and things that we're going to face in the future. And the question continues to come up, well, how are we supposed to live? How are we supposed to to operate as believers in a country, in a world that is becoming increasingly difficult for us to do that? We know what scripture teaches in Romans 13 and 14, and that's actually where we're going to be today, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Um, we know what it says. It says that we should follow our government, and we should respond to them, and do what they tell us. And that has created a lot of issues for us as believers. Because I don't want to do what they tell me. I don't like what they're telling me. Am I the only one? I'm not asking you to get political with me. I'm not even talking specifically about one subject or the other. I'm talking about for the entirety of our government, whether it's been in the United States or over in England or even when Rome was in power, we've always fought against control. We always have. Nobody likes that. I don't like it when my wife tells me to do something. She loves it when I command her as the head of the household, the man of the house. I'm just kidding, honey. Just kidding. Just kidding. (laughs) She knows that that's not true. But none of us like to be told what to do. We don't. And so we have to kind of wrestle with the idea of, is it just because I don't like getting told what to do, or are they... Asking me or commanding or telling me to do something that I firmly believe scripturally is wrong. Now, you can interject whatever thing is going on right now in that, but I'm talking about the whole totality of dealing with government rule. I'm not looking at one thing specific or the other, even though it will probably pop into your mind. And so... I'll just say it. I'm not talking about the COVID vaccine because I know that's what you're thinking and I know that's what you're hoping that I'm going to tell you yes or no. But I hope after this Sunday and next Sunday, you will be able to determine for yourself without me having to say yes or no. Because there are some things where I can't tell you yes or no. I can only instruct you scripturally what God expects of us and then you have a brain and you need to figure it out on your own to stand before God When it's time. Does that make sense? I'm not trying to squirt out of my responsibilities. I know what I'm responsible for. And I'm responsible for bringing truth to us. To inform us. So that the spirit can move within us. And help us make the decisions that we need to make. I believe that is part of the problem with a lot of churches today. Is that 
It's full of weak Christians because they are only waiting for the pastor to tell them what to do and what not to do. And they are not taking it upon themselves to take the very spirit of God that they trusted in, that lives within them, to guide them through the truth of scripture. And if we want to get anywhere in this life and you're going to depend on me, you're going to fall really short. Because I'm just a man that has been blessed by the Spirit of God to have the job and the responsibility that I have to be able to read and interpret Scripture and share truth. But you have the same gift. It's called the Spirit of God. He is the one who wills and acts within us to have us do what He calls us to do. And so it brings us back to the idea of, okay... But what do we do when someone's telling us to do something that we really don't want to do, but we can't figure it out scripturally? How do we handle that? Because I know that's on all of our minds. Amen? So let's tackle it. I love killing white elephants, right? It's the white elephant in the room. It is. We all are waiting. We've all been waiting to see, what is the pastor going to say? What does he think? Well, you're getting ready to find out. But it's going to be scripturally based. And it's probably not going to be what you think it's going to be. It's going to be a little bit different. So here's the question that I have for us to wrestle with today. And it really is in the form of a question. Is how shall we now live? How shall we now live? Our world has changed. The day and age that I grew up in in church is drastically different than what it is today. And I know it's even more different than some of you have lived a little bit longer than I have. I mean, we look at our town of Middletown, and just in the short time that I've been here, in the 16 years that we've been here, it has exploded. Life is different. Everything has changed around us, and we must constantly consider this question of, how now shall I live? How am I going to live life out now? And in the throes of possibly the return of Christ with the tribulation looming maybe a few years, weeks, days, who knows, but we know it's coming, how are we going to live then? And folks, if we can't get prepared now how we're going to respond to those times if we're even here, you can't wait till then to make this decision. It's going to be problematic, so it is time to deal with it now. So the question simply remains, how shall we now live? How are we going to navigate these troubled waters as a believer when we know we are to follow and respect our government, but we are to follow and submit to God at the same time? How does that work? This is going to be a thought-provoking doozy of a sermon that's going to be split up into a couple of parts. So, everybody with me? Anybody want to leave? Okay, good. Do not cut me off at home. Stay with me. Anybody know what that is? Anybody want to take a guess? It's the Mayflower. Listen, these people, our people, in the 1600s, literally took... Oh, I threw my paper down there. i got to get my paper real quick. John, did you do that? You did. In November of 1620, they were tired of the official legal church of England ruling over them the way that they were, and they decided to hop a boat and go across the pond and end up here. So they spent a long time on the waters in that boat, which is not a cruise ship, by the way. 
There's no servants there. There are no individual quarters. There's probably no bathrooms. Like, it is the worst experience you could probably imagine. But why did they go for the hope of something better? They left. And then a short time later, in fact, only 156 years later, we get the Declaration of Independence. They are declaring that no longer will we be under the rule of England. We want to rule ourselves. And they did that under the notion that God was their leader. That's the whole reason they left. It's the whole reason they declared their independence. Because they wanted to serve God the way that they believed he had called them to serve. So with that said, next Sunday, it's going to take a couple of trips and we're going to load the bus. We have a cruise ship. That we're going to load up with believers that are tired of living under the rule that we are. And we're going to go just start our... Just kidding. Now to us, that's so silly, right? That's comical. That's what they did. They literally stopped living in England, boarded a boat, sailing to some country they've never been to, to start a life. Why? Under religious conviction. Some of us can't even get up to come to church on Sunday morning because, eh, I'll just come some other time. Where's our religious conviction about stuff? Listen, we better find a little bit because our religious freedoms are slowly being eked away from us. Just one at a time, nice and easy. We better wake up. Now, I'm not calling for this type, but I am suggesting We need to prepare. For what? I have no idea. But there's a lot of times God called his people to do things that they had no idea what was coming. And you know what they did? They prepared. And folks, it's time to prepare. It is time to gear up and get ready. The Declaration of Independence that was signed only 156 years later... And now we are 245 years after the fact. Can you even conceptualize? 245 years is basically how old we are as a nation. 245. And the experiment that we've been on is is kind of running out, unfortunately. It's changing. But our God hasn't changed. Our values as believers hasn't changed, but the world around us, our nation has changed. And so how shall we now live in a nation that is changing from once it was first created for? Look at the Declaration of Independence. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth... The separate and equal station to which the laws of nature, watch this, and of nature's God entitled them. A recent disrespect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. In other words, we become to an impasse. You're living one way. We don't agree with that. We want to go a different way that agrees with what we believe God has called us to. And so we need to separate. It goes on to say, we hold these truths. These truths that God has called us. There's more truths that they're getting ready to uh, lay out here. We hold these truths to be self-evident. Common sense. That all men are created equal. Amen. That's probably a good time right there to throw one in. That they are endowed by the creator, God, with certain unalienable rights. 
We have the freedom of will that came from God and nobody else. Nobody offered that to us but God. It is from him and him alone that we have the freedom that we have. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. They're created by men. Humans. To have wicked and deceitful hearts. To have sin nature. That mean well, have good intentions, but are selfish to the core. Deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Now, as wonderful as that is, I see no chance of that ever happening. We are so far removed We have relaxed so much and so much power has shifted in the opposite direction. It would be a miracle for that truly to play out. We have lost what that was written for. Now, that's not an indictment on our government. It's it's just the reality. Thank you, Eli. Did you fall asleep back? Did I put you to sleep already? Ah, you put your Bible down. Likely story. That sounds like a religious thing to say. (laughs) All right. I hear you. All right. So anyway, it's where we're at. It's what we're dealing with. So let's look at Scripture and let's see what Scripture has to say. Now, we're going to be looking over the next two weeks, possibly three. I'm not sure yet. Over Romans 13 and 14. Now we're only going to get through the first uh, probably 10 to 14 verses of Romans 13. So here's what I would encourage you to do. Go home and read this. Don't wait for me. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be in the word. So go home and read this. So let's go to Romans chapter 13. Let's look at the first uh, at least 10 verses for now. And then uh, if I remember we'll come back and pick up the last four uh, at the end of the sermon. Now this is Paul talking to the people in Rome, the Christians there. He says, let every soul, does that leave anybody out? Be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Now when it says subject to, it means that, listen, we've got to at least adhere to think about and follow what they are reasonably asking us to do. But notice where this authority comes from. It comes from God. God has allowed this authority. If you remember back, all the way back, while God was trying to work with the children of Israel, they just got so fed up with God being way up there and them way down here. What did they ask for? We want a king like everybody else. We want to be ruled like everybody else. What you're doing, God, is not working for us, and so we want something else. And so God, in his infinite wisdom, said, okay, you're going to get what you ask for, but it's not going to be what you think it is. And he gave him a king. And King Saul was great at first, until King Saul became more selfish than a follower of God. He became very independent, 
very self-righteous and started doing things on his own, which caused a great division. And king after king after king, yes, some did really well, some were absolutely horrible, but most, (coughs) excuse me, at some point in time, walked away, stepped away, took a break from following God and did their own thing. And so, yes, the government that God allowed, he was watching over, but it was ran by human beings. And so, yes, our government, whether we want to admit it or not, is allowed by God. It was the reason it was set up, because they wanted to have governing officials set up by men to follow God's law to govern the, the, the nation that we were creating under the government of spiritual rules. The problem is, we lost sight of that. And it is no longer being governed by spiritual laws or spiritual rules or even God, even though God is still allowing it. You may wonder, why is God still allowing it? Well, because God is God. And he has given us free will and he's just watching saying, oh man, don't do that. Verse 2, therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. He simply says, listen, there's a sowing and reaping here. If you take a law that has been placed above you and you disobey it, there's a consequence. Whether you like the law, whether you hate the law, doesn't matter. If the law is in effect and you do not follow it, there's going to be a natural consequence with it. We all know that. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. Now, here's what's great about this verse. This verse tells us that the rulers that are set in motion are supposed to be rulers of good and a terror to bad works. That's the government that we're talking about here, that Paul is suggesting that we get in line and follow. The problem that we are facing is that's not what our government is doing. And so it creates this dilemma within us. Well, God said we should follow them because when we don't follow them, there are are, are consequences for that. But these rulers are supposed to be ruling for the good, for spiritual law, for spiritual gain. And they're not doing that. So now what? You feel the dilemma there? It's where we all are. Verse 4, for he is God's minister to you for good. That, it, But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not... Bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Again, this is creating a dilemma because what we read is how it was supposed to be set up, but what we are experiencing is a little different. Verse 5, therefore you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for consciousness' sake. Now that's an interesting statement. I should be subject to the law for my own conscience's sake. Not for your conscience, my conscience. It's the reason, honestly, that now when I drive, I have my cruise control on. Because I got tired of getting speeding tickets. I got tired of having points on my license. I got tired of my insurance going up. And I got tired of my wife saying, you're speeding. So I drive with my cruise control at 60. Always five over. 
Because I don't like the rule. But I know that if I'm caught, I have made a conscious choice to break the rule and there's a penalty for it. Therefore, I subject myself to it. I follow it whether I like it or not, whether I agree with it or not. Now, that's a really silly example, but if we can't even settle those matters, how are we going to settle matters that are so much bigger? Matters that may determine whether you eat or not, whether you drive or not, whether you have a job or not, whether you're with your family or not. I'm not talking about today. I'm talking about what is to come possibly in the near future. If we can't subject to certain things now, And to stand our ground on certain things now, how will we then live when it really gets bad? Everybody having fun yet? Verse 6. Oh, let me, let me, let me go back to this. This is all based on your conscience. Well, what does that mean, Alan? Well, my conscience is based and created by what I read and adhere my life to in Scripture. It's not based on what my wife is going to think or what my friends Charlie and Janice are going to think or what you, my church, my friends are going to think. My conscience must be based on what does God think? What has he commanded me to do? My conscience must be totally and completely surrounded and covered and eat up with scripture. Therefore, when I do wrong, my conscience just blows me up. Not because somebody has said something to me, because the spirit of God says, Alan, that's not okay. You with me? Verse six, for because of this, You also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers, attending continually to this very thing. Now, if I were to ask you, do you enjoy paying taxes? Most of you are going to say, nope. But Paul brings it up. We pay taxes, why? Because it's the reasonable thing to do, that's what they've asked us to do, and whether we like it or not, it's what we are asked to do. Verse 7, render therefore to all their due, taxes to, to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs Fear to whom fear, that means more respect, and honor to whom honor. Verse 8, owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. What a statement. Don't owe anybody anything. A lot of people will use that, that we shouldn't have loans, that you shouldn't borrow money. Because it says, owe no one anything except love. And look what it says. That last part, for he who loves another has what? fulfilled the law. We're going to pop that open in a little bit. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Listen, the laws that we have in this land are great for the most part. They're there to protect us. They're there to, to help us. Some of them are ridiculous and pointless. But the ultimate law that we all should adhere by is the law of loving our neighbor as ourself. And you're hearing that said a lot in the news right now, that if you're not doing this or you are doing this, then you're not showing love or you are showing love. Let me, let me help you with that. The only commandments that I am to follow and truly show love through are the ten commandments that were given to my ultimate ruler. Or by my ultimate roller to me. I show love not by 
doing one thing or the other by what the world's standard is. I show love by acting out on the commandments that God has given me. Do not let the world redefine what love looks like for you as a believer. Love in the context and the way in which we live comes simply by loving God first and supremely by submitting all that we have to him and then loving our neighbor as ourselves. And again, we'll get into that in just a minute. Verse 10, love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. So much in there. This is why I literally, we're going to have to take a couple of Sundays. So here's the first thing. Let's talk about the governing authorities. The first thing that we look at is to govern against evil and not a terror to good works. That is an interesting statement that Paul brings up and really drives home. And the idea of, listen, when God allowed this, he allowed it under the context of they are here to carry out my law for the good works. Not to be a terror to the good works, but to... Uh, bring consequences to the evil and to protect those that were trying to live correctly. That's important for us to understand. That is the type of government that Paul is saying, those are the ones that we should follow. Those are the ones that we are responsible to. Romans 13 again, let me read it for you. For rulers are not a terror to good works. Rulers should not be a terror to good works. And yet, even in the day and age that we are living right now, They are. To things that are common sense to me, that are right and good, they are terrorizing us over. And the things that are horrible, they're celebrating. It says, do what is good and you will have praise from the same. Not really sure that that's going to be accurate anymore in the world that we live in. But here's the thing. It's going to create opportunities for conversation in our world. If I take a stand biblically on certain things, certain aspects of the way that our world is, you can pick whatever you want. People are going to ask me, why are you doing that? And scripture is very clear that we should always be ready to give a defense as to why we believe, as to why we act, as to why we say what we are saying and believe what we believe and do what we do. We should always be willing to. And so as we move forward in the times that we are living in, it's going to create more opportunities for people to say, hey, I don't like why you're doing that. Why are you doing that? Why are you being that way? And we, seasoned with salt and sweet with honey, we should be able to give an answer that will speak truth to their life and give a pathway for the Spirit to move in their heart. But if we become obnoxious and obstinate, Digging our heels in and being just rude. Tell me where the love is in that. Where's the love? There is no love in that. But I can stand my ground. I can hold my own. I can speak truth in love just as Christ did. Now there are times where we've got to get maybe a little excited. But you better make sure it's the right hill that you're going to die on. Make sure it's a mountain and not a molehill. As we go through this, we have to ask the question. If we're talking about good works, because that's exactly what Paul was talking about. Our good works. Well, who defines that? 
Well, if we look in Romans 12 too, it definitely tells us that it is not the world who defines that for us because we are called to transform our thinking, change our minds, and to not live as the world lives. So the world does not get to define what good works look like for us. Because it is our good works which allow people to see that, okay, we're living for Christ. Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us that our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked, that we can't even know our own heart. So we can't even define what a good work is for ourselves because we're selfishly minded. What a good work may be to me may be completely different to you. So who really gets to define our good works? God does. In fact, let me, let me read this verse for you. That's really good. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, For we are his workmanship. Do you, do you even do you know what that means? You are his creation. He is still molding you in, in a process of who he wants you to be. We are not done yet. He's not done making us into a complete follower from him for him. And so we are his workmanship. People are watching. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Why? For good works. Which God prepared beforehand. You know what is so cool about that statement? Good works has already been determined for us long ago. It's already been determined. It is our job to get into scripture and figure out what those things are. Good works before God. James 4.17 says, To him who knoweth to do good and doeth it not... To him it is sin. So if we know a good work to do, if we know that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves, if we know that we are to, to not uh, uh, commit adultery or to not uh, lie or cheat or steal, we know all of those things and we do them, guess what? You just sinned. If you know that it is not right to snub somebody or to be mean to somebody, you just sinned. To him who knows to do right and does not do it, to him it is sin. And so God has already predetermined, here's what good works look like. And when we don't do what is right, we sin. But what about good works before men? What's the point behind that? Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, among the unbelievers. That when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. We have a responsibility as a church to live and to operate in such a way that when our community, our state, our nation, the world, has anything to say about us, our works should be so loud that it drowns out the negativity that will come at us. That they will be able to see that it is God that's doing these things, that it's not just a bunch of fanatics Praising Jesus all the time. And I'm okay with that, actually. Do you believe that? When we break the law, there are penalties. Both humanly and spiritually speaking. Seriously, do you, do you really believe that? Now, I know we believe that humanly speaking because some of you have the tickets or, or whatever to, and the scars to show. That when you broke a law, you broke something, you did something, whether it was a natural law or a man-made law or whatever law, you have something to show for it. But I'm not convinced that we as believers, as believers, truly believe that there are spiritual ramifications for bad decisions. 
And I'm not sure how we can't believe that. How many times does Jesus talk about sowing and reaping? How many times is sowing and reaping mentioned in scriptures? It's a lot. There's a lot about that. Now, I'm not trying to, to get us to worry about, well, man, God's always looking to, to zap me or get a hold of me. All I'm trying to say is this. There is a natural response to decisions. It's either going to be a reward or a consequence. In fact, I put my favorite sign up. If I choose to go 80 in a 65, now that's my free will. The government says we prefer that you not do that. This is as fast as we want you to travel. I have the free will to say, I don't care. I like to drive 80. I'm going to drive 80. And then when I get pulled over, I can fuss about it. I can put up a stink. I can just be old Alan. Or I could realize, Alan, you made a free will choice to drive 80. You got busted. And so there's a consequence to that. Now, there's also a reward. If I don't get caught, I get home quicker. But let's take that and translate it into real world stuff. I can look at porn and nobody knows that. Because that's in the quiet of my home. I'm under control. Nobody sees it. But what we fail to recognize is that when I do that in secret, there may not be a true physical penalty that comes out of that. But there is a a spiritual law that has been broken. And the grief and the shame that overtakes me is because the Spirit of God is grieved. But it doesn't stop there because then I carry that grief and shame and I walk into church and I wonder who knows and who doesn't know. And then it carries on from there because then the next time my wife and I are together, I don't see her as she deserves to be seen. I see her as what has been placed into my mind. I really don't want you to amen that, but you know I'm right. Those conversations that we have with someone else other than our spouse that are intimate and emotionally attaching, they have spiritual consequences. They have big consequences. There's no reward in that. Folks, listen, there are so many aspects to the spiritual laws that we say we love and say we follow that we break, that bring about Way worse consequences. And these consequences aren't necessarily God zapping us. They are natural consequences that go against how God created us to operate through his spirit in this world. They cannot mix. And so it creates this two crashing waves that just creates this mess within our lives and we don't know what to do with it. Well, let me help you. It's what Charlie shared two weeks ago. Stop it. If you don't like the grief and shame that comes with those bad decisions, stop. If you don't like the consequences of speeding tickets and court dates, stop speeding. This isn't rocket science. This is, let me tell you what this boils down to. You choosing to submit and give in to the things that, I don't really want to do that, but it's the right thing to do. That's what it boils down to. Both spiritually and humanly speaking. I hate driving the speed limit. I'm just flat out, I don't like it. I just want to drive. Leave me alone. Let me drive. But there are laws. 
whether I like them, agree with them, or want to follow them, they are still laws. And laws, ooh. Daniel 3 says, yeah. Daniel 3. Because it brings us to the idea of, okay, fine. What do I do when the government says, here's a law or a mandate, and you are to follow it or else? You can plug whatever you want in there. Well, we have lots of examples of that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Massive statue King Nebuchadnezzar puts up and he says when the the sound plays, bow down. Massive courtyard full of people. They could have bowed down, but in their heart they they would have said, no, I'm not really bowing down, but I I don't want to be caught. I I don't want to stand out. I don't want to be mistreated. And I certainly don't want to be thrown into the fiery furnace. So I'm just going to bow down, tie my shoe. I'm really not bowing to the the idol. but, But they didn't. There were maybe other Jewish kids in there. Main followers. Powerful people. This isn't just commoners in this courtyard. These are powerful people. And they're all bowing. And these three Jewish young men just stand there. As everyone is bowing down. Now I don't know about you, but have you ever been in that moment where everybody else is doing something and you're not and just the heat radiates? You know those boys were hot. And they are brought before King Nebuchadnezzar and he says, hey, why are you not bowing down? We're going to do it again and you better do it or else we're going to throw you in this fiery furnace. We're going to kill you. And notice their response. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. They recognize who he is. You are the king. You are the one that is putting this law out. We understand that there is a consequence if we do not follow that. But we are willing, O king, to not follow it because we have a king greater than you. We respect you. We honor you. We know the power that you have here. But, O King, what you are asking us to do violates a spiritual law deep within me. And I cannot do that. But if not, let it be known to you, O King, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which we have set up. They said, listen, we know, we get it. You don't, we don't have to talk about this any further. There's no more discussion needed. We don't need to debate back and forth about who's right, who's wrong. We get your king, your rule, your call. We have a responsibility to God to live a certain way, and we know that it's going to cost us our lives. So do what you got to do, because we know our God can go either way with us. And we're good with that. Are you there yet? Are you at the place... Where no matter what comes, and listen, it's going to come, that you're going to have to make some hard decisions that may cost you your job, it may cost you your family, it may cost you money, your house, your, your wealth, it may cost you everything. But if it is a law that causes us, challenges us, or asks us, or demands us to break a spiritual law, are you at the place that you are willing to lose it all to protect your faith in God.
Now let me stress here. Be very careful as to the things that you claim are spiritual laws. Make sure, again, that they are not molehills that you're just passionate about, but that they are truly mountains that are immovable and secured long ago by God himself. You better make sure that the things that you are willing to die for are truly what should be honored and given our lives for. They were, and they were chucked into the fiery furnace, but they danced with Jesus in those flames. Not a hair on their head was singed. Mm. In Acts 4, 18 through 21, we've got uh, Peter and John. These guys have been preaching the gospel. Jesus has left, the spirit has fallen, and they are just preaching, 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 bringing converts upon converts. And they are brought before the religious leaders of the day. They are mistreated and mishandled and questioned and challenged. And listen to what they say. So they called them, these religious leaders called them, Peter and John, and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. Spiritual law. That's a spiritual law. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. They, they allowed the rulers of their day, the spiritual rulers, to say, listen, we know in our heart what is right, but you, you decide for you what's more important for us to either listen to God or listen to you. We know the answer. You decide and you make your ruling based on that. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. He's like, you can't shut us up because we experienced it. For three and a half years, we saw this man. We experienced his greatness. We watched him die. We saw him rise again. And we saw him go up to heaven. And then the, the, the helper came. And we received the spirit of God. You can't shut me up. Do what you want. Beat me silly. Imprison me. But you won't shut me up. Because I have a mandate, a law from God that I need to speak the gospel of Christ. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. And then when they get out, another 5,000 people come to know Christ. Why? Because they respectfully stood for the laws of God in the face of adversity. Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is being challenged by some of the Pharisees and their little, little uh, uh, students. And they come and say, what should we do with taxes? We know that you are God and you speak for God. And so what do you say we should do? And he says to them, whose image and inscription is this? And they say to him, Caesar's. And he says to them, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. They're trying to trip Jesus up to get them to go against the government. He says, wait a second. This government is allowed by God. They're here. What they're asking us to do is not breaking a spiritual law. You are still able to worship God. You're still able to give to God. You're still able to serve God. All they're asking you to do is to pay a Roman tax because they are the governing authority over you. Pay it. But to the things that God has asked for, you better do it. And when they heard these things, they marveled and left him alone because they didn't know what to do with him. Jesus recognized the law of the land. He absolutely recognized the the law that was happening. He recognized the Roman government, the very people that were going to have him put to death because of the Jewish rulers. 
Think about that. And he's saying, give them what they are due. They've earned it, kind of. (laughs) They are there. You're responsible as a human being to follow that. But then he also says, but do not dishonor the law that my father has given. In fact, he was against those that dishonored the law because the Pharisees had morphed the the great commandments of God into this massive thing of, of horribleness, really. It's so bad I can't even think of a good phrase to put on there. So I use my bad grammar. And he says, that's the problem. Do what you're called to do, do what you're expected, but make sure that the law of God is protected. And he says, give to God what is God's. Well, what is God's? Your life. Your life. That may mean you give your life physically. It may mean you give your life spiritually. It may mean that you give a portion of your life that you have set your career on, but you set it aside for the cause of Christ because it's all his. Now we get to our second point. In that passage, it talks about the ultimate law is love. The ultimate law is love. And, and look at these passages. These are common passages that we all love. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. After this long dictation from Paul about how great love is and all of these other things, he says, Now abide faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. Those are the the three main characteristics that we have as believers. Our faith, our hope in the returning of Christ, and our love for him and for one another. But he says, out of those three, out of faith, which faith is what saves us, out of our hope, because it keeps us moving forward, he says, out of those three, the most important one is love. It's love. How we love one another. Another. John 13, 35, he tells us by this, all will know that you are my disciples. How? By how you have love one another, for one another. Now again, it takes us back to, well, we are hearing a lot today that we're not showing love if we're not doing one thing or another. Let me ask you a question. What are we to show love regarding? Regarding the law. Whose law? God's law. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. That's Romans 13.10. It's the fulfillment, the fulfillment, the finishing, the completing of the law. Well, what law? What is he referring to? He's referring to the Ten Commandments, the Big Ten. He, He references them in there. He says the fulfillment of the law is the law of love to one another. That's the the fulfillment of what we are called to do and, and how we are to act and how we're to live in this life. But he also talks about this, it's it's love God first. That's really what Jesus did. He took the Ten Commandments and he boils it down to two. He says, love God first and then love your neighbor as yourself. Because all the Ten Commandments, you can separate them into two categories, loving God and loving others. I don't know if you ever knew that or not. You've heard us talk about it here or not, or, or before. But then it goes on, when we are able to do that, it's the fruit of the Spirit. 
It's the outcome. As we learn to love God and his laws and we learn to, to love one another, love begins the process of the fruit of the spirit to take root or to um, pr- be produced inside of us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of those things, there are zero laws in our world against any of those. There are zero laws against love. So we are called to fulfill the laws of God first. And to do that, we must learn to love. Is that really it? I don't think that's it. I guess it is. I thought I had so much more. Hold on, let me scan my brain real quick. Sorry. There is more. (gasps) Where did it go? Seriously, there's nothing else on there? Oh, man. Hey, will you grab my laptop out of my backpack, please? Because it's so important. I have to get this. This is so good. You're just not going to see it. Sorry. So let me sing to you. Just kidding. I love you too much to do that to you. So it's... Is this, is this making sense? Listen, we, we have a lot to deal with moving forward. Thank you so much, dear. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Man. Man, I hope it's on here. That'll be a bummer. That is so weird. Where are you? Right there it is. Eli. Just kidding. All right, so. (laughs) One of the things, I had two slides, or two or three more slides, and one of the things that I did is I took the Ten Commandments and I expressed how we show love through the Ten Commandments. So listen to these Ten Commandments. It says, I love you by not coveting your Toyota Tacoma. Because that's what we do. You can place whatever you want in there. Because we look at each other and we say, I want that. I like what you have. I want that. And I love you too much to do that to you. I shouldn't covet another man's wife. I shouldn't covet another man's house, another man's car, another man's children. I love you too much to do that because that is a spiritual law that I'm commanded to not covet. Another one is, I love you by not pursuing or lusting after your wife. Now, how awkward does that sound? But that's what happens. That is what happens. That's the adultery part. And by the way, adultery, according to Jesus, is not just the physical act. It is the mental exercise that we go through before we even get to the physical act. Amen. I know, a little awkward. I'll amen that one for you. So I love you by not pursuing her. I love you by being honest. I don't want to bear a false witness before you. I want you to know that when I say it, I mean it. And I'm being fully honest. It always cracks me up when we say, well, let me be honest with you. Well, does that mean you've been lying to me? Like there's no reason a believer should ever have to say, let me be honest. 
We should be able to say emphatically, whatever comes out of my mouth, it is truth. I am honest. And we should be able to trust one another. The problem is we live in a world that it just doesn't work that way. I love you by resting and recharging. I want to keep a day sometime during the week and rest. Why? Because I want to be all I can be for you. I want to be all that I can be for my wife. I want to be all that I can be for my children. I want to be all that I can be for God. It is required, it is commanded by God for us to rest. And therefore, I love to take a day of rest. I love you by honoring you. My parents, I love my parents. And I want to honor them by how I live my life, by how I treat them. Those are ways that we show that we love. I love you by not taking your life or hating you deep within. I don't want to murder. But Jesus, again, took it a step further. He says the murderous act is is not where it starts. It starts in your heart just by hating someone else. Well, I don't want to break that spiritual law. I want to love you enough by honoring God's commandments by not hating you. I may be real aggravated with you. And I may be real disappointed with you. But I don't want to ever get to the place where I hate you so bad that I've committed murder in my heart. I love God by serving Him only. I don't want to have anybody else in front of Him. I only want to serve Him. I want to fulfill the law by loving, serving Him. I want to love God by not replacing Him with anything, whether it's created or already existing. I don't want to put anything in front of God. I want Him to be the sole person in my life that I love more than anything else. I love God by preserving His name with my actions and my lips. Listen, we are way too loose with his name. There's a lot of words that I don't like to hear. But JC and GD that come out of our mouths turn my stomach. Now there are some bad ones out there. But those two for a believer... For people to use those names to turn your stomach. And if you're a believer that throws those names out flippantly. I love you enough to say, please stop. And that's my filtered response. Stop. If you don't love and respect him enough. Then really what are you doing? And then lastly, I love putting you in front of me. Now, that's not one of the Ten Commandments. That's the verse in Philippians that Paul uses and says, hey, put others in front of yourself. And these are the laws that we are called not to violate. Not the laws of the land. Yeah, we should follow those. But the true laws that we are called not to violate are the Ten Commandments, the laws of God, the spiritual laws that we find in here. If any law created by governing officials cross that line, I want you to hear this. Man, I wish this was up there. If any law created by our governing officials, earth included, all governing officials, if any of them cross the line of spiritual law, Believers have a responsibility to God first to make a decision and accept the reward, the consequence, or both. Now I want that to sink in. Because many of you are facing decisions that you have to make based on the governing laws or mandates that are being handed down. And you are going to have to make a decision on which hill that you're going to battle on. And it may cost you and it may reward you. But you have to make a decision within yourself 
based on how you see spiritual laws and government laws and decide which is more important to you. Now, you see why it's difficult for me to tell you yes or no, do this or do that, because this is on your conscience. You have to stand before God with a reasonable explanation as to why this is why I took this battle. This is why I decided this. This is why I allowed this. It's up to you. But Paul gives us a great construct of how to do it. Jesus gives us a great outline of how to make this work. We do it through the law, or through the love of the law. That is how we fulfill it. And lastly, I'm so disappointed these aren't on there. Are we using scripture? I want you to really hear this. And these slides will be online in a little bit. Are we using scripture to build our case to keep to the law of love? Or are we building our case first in hopes to fit scriptural truth because we don't like being told what to do? Let that sink in. I can make an argument for anything. But what I don't want to do is cherry pick scripture to fit something that I'm just not happy about. What I want to do is go to scripture and say, here's what scripture says, therefore I'm going to follow that. Does that make sense? So the question that we all have to ask ourselves, am I just using scripture to fit the argument that I want because I don't want to do this or that? Or am I following scripture because it has already stated my case and that is what I'm choosing to follow? So, with all that said, we will put a pause on this sermon and we will carry on next week with the remainder of chapter 14. But before we get to the questions, I want to read the last few verses of Romans chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to look at these last few verses Verse 10 says, love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. In verse 11, Paul says, and do this, do it, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. This is Paul speaking in his time saying, hey, the end's coming. It is time that we get geared up now. That was Paul over 2,000 years ago. And now this verse still rings true for us. Because folks, believers, followers of Christ, committed believers, let me tell you something. It's time. We need to wake up. We need to gear up. We need to prepare. And we need to stand our ground because the day is near. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. In other words, stop being boneheads like me and living like the world and let's start living like Christ. The time is now. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and in envy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Stop sinning is basically what he's saying. You cannot live a life of sin and be prepared for God. 
You cannot break his spiritual laws and expect everything to be hunky-dory. It cracks me up that people come to me and say, I don't know why God's not doing this. I don't know why my life is so messed up. Well, look at what you're doing and the decisions that you're making. Are they based on what you want or are they based on honoring the spiritual laws of God? Now, there's a little bit of a caveat there. Because even living for God, full on, all in, honoring the spiritual laws, life still happens. We live in an evil world where people are just ridiculous. And they make decisions that we will get caught in the downdraft. But it should not deter us from fulfilling the law of love. Not ever. Here's some questions for you as the praise team comes. Number one, good old go-to. Because none of this will work unless you've fully surrendered. Do you realize that? There's no way you can make this decision to honor the law of love or to fulfill the law of God or to even find out what mountain you need to fight on unless you are fully submitted to the Spirit of God. It won't happen. It'll be very difficult. Number two, are you seeing what you want to see or what he is truly doing? It is easy for us to look, and I'll just use our day and time now, to look and get very discouraged and very frustrated at what is going on around us saying, where's God at? Well, are you seeing it just how you want to see it? Or can you take a step back and see that maybe God's got some things that he's playing out in the background that we just don't know about. And we just need to be okay with doing what we are called to do, which is to fulfill the law of love. And lastly, are you sharing who Jesus really is? Or that is not even the real questions. Wow. I didn't think that was right. What in the world? All right, here's the real question. Forget those. Those aren't any good. Man. That's astounding. Second question. Fully surrendered really was question number one. So I'll just leave that right there. Question number two. Is it proper for a Christian to obey the law of the land if it causes them to violate God's law? That's a big question. Let me read it again. Especially because it's not on the screen, because something weird's going on. Is it proper for a Christian to obey the law of the land if it causes them to violate God's law? That's a question you have to answer. I know the answer for me. And I'll just tell you it ain't proper, it's not okay. If the law of the land forces, asks, demands, challenges me to break a spiritual law, a law that God instituted a long time ago, I will not do it. Number three, what is dictating your belief? Scripture or just your simple dislike of being told what to do? That's a big one, right? That's hard for us. Because again, we don't like being told what to do. But the reality is what's dictating your feelings and emotions and your responses right now? Is it scripturally based? Or just really because you just don't like being told what to do? So we will continue this sermon next Sunday. So be in much prayer over it. Because I know this hits all of us. 
It's questions we're wondering, questions we're wrestling with. So be in prayer, read the passages, and listen for the Spirit of God to speak. Let me pray for you. God, I love you. In spite of the craziness of our technology, your Spirit still runs free and uninhibited. May He reveal to each one of us what it is that we really are struggling with. Reveal to us those areas that might hinder us from truly hearing from you and making decisions that would honor you. But Lord, probably more than anything, what we need to hear this morning and what we really need from you, what I need from you, is a clear vision as to what is right in my decision-making according to the laws of the land right now. Lord, I would imagine we are all over the map on what to do on certain aspects. And Lord, we probably can have some scriptures to back up our feeling, but God, may we truly look at, is this breaking the law of God, the law of love? And help us to make decisions based on your law, not based on what we feel. Thank you for all that you are. Help us to know how to navigate through this time. May you be glorified and honored in all things in Jesus' name.